Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Norman Yeo, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, The Flash. Each episode, I bring on a different person from business, entrepreneurship, wherever I can find something cool, I was doing some game-changing work. And I am so excited to have Aritaka, who's the SVP, Head of Culture and Talent at Audible. Uh, we're going to have a really fascinating conversation. Uh, take a listen. Hey, Ara, how are you? I'm well, Laura. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Excited to have a chat with you. So the way the podcast works, really simply, is the first question is always the same. So, Ara, what was your first job? Wow. Um, let's see. My first job, the one that I, I remember as my first was I was the sales director of my college radio station. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do tell. What was that like? So I, you know, the reason I, I mention it is because it's so relevant to how I think about my career today. But essentially yep. I didn't walk in, you know, so the radio station, so I went to Princeton and it was in the basement at the time, one of the dorms. And I saw a flyer and it said, Hey, do you want to be a DJ? You know, I was a freshman, like, yeah, I want to be a DJ. I like music. And I walked into the open house and they were like, so, you know, if you like top 40, if you blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I like type 40. They're like, this is not the radio station for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, nope. I was nope, like, nope. So obviously I wasn't going to walk out in the middle, but they had other leaders of the station, you know, talking and the sales director showed up and she actually changed the course of the way I thought about my own I think career and major at the time, but she was an art history major and she was actually going to med school. And she said, hey, if you like to make money, you might wanna come join the sales department. And I was like, okay, DJing was great, but like making money, that's even Wait. better. <laughs> so, so she and I um, became the sales department of two. And essentially, so this was back in the late nineties. So I was still doing things like making phone calls uh, looking through the yellow pages, and <laughs> then, yep, pounding the pavement, going to local businesses and trying to convince them to advertise on our radio station. Um, so that was that was good. We were a thirty thousand watt station. Now I, I don't know, Laura, you were like a radio broadcaster. Yep. Like no. that. Okay. So back then, that was a big deal. That was like it meant we could reach Philadelphia and New York. And so the market, you know, the total available market theoretically should have been really good. But when I got that question of what are your Arbitron ratings, that's like a Nielsen rating. Mm -hmm. They were like, I was like, well, we're a variety station. You know, we have a lot of different, and they're like, Meh, don't want to talk to you. So uh, I went to our first um, quarterly board of trustees meeting. This was the one where I was meant to report because, you know, the, the current former sales director, she was in transition. So this was going to be my first meeting. And the, the trustee said, okay, what's that? let's have the sales report. How are sales? And I said, you know, they're actually, this is where they are, but you know, I kind of like, it is what it is. Right. And they were like, not a good answer. And they said, look, you're in charge of sales. I said, but music and programming aren't doing what I need them to do. And they said, you're in charge of sales, figure it out. 
So fast forward, um, after I got over myself and feeling like totally, you know, demoralized, I realized they were right. I hadn't really dug in. I'd kind of been doing things the same way they'd always been done. And so I, I did two things. One is I spent some summers at the radio station and really got to know my colleagues. So I learned what the tech director was doing when like he needed to go fix the signal. I learned more about why programming and music were, they way, were the way that they were. And I learned more about our business model. So what I realized is I needed to think about the radio station in like a broader term. Like what was the real product that we were selling? And it was people who wanted to engage with us. So I ended up, um, we ended up reviving the thing that in the 80s had been so popular, which was a program guide. So we actually printed something and sold print ads. And then we also sold this thing called web advertising, which was really new, the internet. And we were able to expand not only our customers, but our advertisers, because now I wasn't just walking up and down the main drag asking the same people to advertise, but I now had like a beanbag company in Idaho. So it was like, yeah, I'll send you beanbag. Expand your market. Exactly. So it gave me two lessons. You know, I, the reason I, I share all of this, and I hope it's interesting to the listeners, is that one, it taught me that true teamwork is really understanding your teammates and not just trying to be the best you can be in your silo of functional expertise. And then two, really thinking creatively about what it is that you have to leverage, whether it's your personal assets, professional assets, or something in between in order to bring real value into the world. Awesome. And, and I became an art history major. So. <laughs> Wait, were you, because you, did you go to NYU undergrad? No, I went to NYU for law school. Ah, gotcha. So yeah. under, undergrad, where'd you go? So undergrad, Princeton. Ah, so you were in Jersey. Uh, so I can, I can only imagine, yeah, now it's all makes sense. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty in a lot of ways. It really, it really is. Uh, and so from there, because those are fantastic lessons. So how do we go from, you know, that radio station and kind of you know, finding your way right. to where you are today? What was that journey like? Um, many decades. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> we won't go into all of them. I, I think, you know, it's an interesting question. And I, I've had to sort of think about it along the way because, you know, I went, I mentioned I went to law school I thought I was going to be an entertainment lawyer um, because I'd been an art history and visual arts major. I really loved that at Princeton. I studied creative writing. So, you know, I, I knew that to be a working artist was going to be a real challenge. And it's kind of funny because now I'm married to one. So I know exactly how challenging it is, even when you're very successful, like she is. But I just didn't feel like I had the temperament to do that day in and day out. And I'd also gotten the bug from the sales director bit that I liked working with people and I liked having clients and like being in the swim of other people's businesses. And so um, when I realized I wasn't gonna be an entertainment lawyer because I thought copyright and trademarks is pretty boring, I, I thought, what else can I do? I'm, I'm at NYU, like I'm doing this law school thing. And I decided to become a corporate lawyer because um, corporate governance actually had a lot of parallels to the work I'd been doing in college, which was a lot around identity. So, you know, corporate governance, the question when I was in law school was around, how do we avoid things like Enron and WorldCom from happening again? How do we make boards smarter and better? And how do we get rid of groupthink? And that's all about diversity, right? It's cognitive diversity. And it's also making sure that inherent sort of 
you know, inherent traits like your race or your gender aren't proxies for how you think. And so having to be a lot more sophisticated about being really clear about skills that are needed, um, what you're looking for as a company. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to go to a big law firm and get to learn things like venture capital, securities, M&A, and all of that that led back to story. It was kind of like, what's the story you're helping a company tell through a legal lens? And then I realized I didn't really like being a lawyer. It was really hard. Um, it is not easy at all. Yeah. And it, it wasn't that it was, you know, it wasn't intellectually so much that it was hard. It was just like the day in, day out. And I think whenever you're- 90 hour weeks weren't your friends? No. And I realized it wasn't so much the hours. It was how I was spending those hours. And to me, it's a privilege to have the opportunity to think about how you spend your time. And I realized I really, if I was going to be true to all of the sort of sacrifices of people who'd come before me, I was going to have to be very intentional with where I put my time and my effort and my gifts. And so I started talking to different people who weren't practicing law, but who were lawyers. And I'll sort of truncate the story, but essentially I ended up back at Princeton in the provost office at first, and then eventually serving both the provost and the executive vice president's office, doing um, lots of academic governance, strategic thinking, budgeting, all the things it takes to run a university. And that was really cool for me because I went from having lots of clients doing really interesting things to one that I really cared about the mission and learned all that it took sort of operationally. And I was able to take what I learned as a junior associate, which is a lot about just being organized, excited, not afraid of not knowing the answer and being able to collaborate and get it done and bring that to the university, which was really cool. Um, but, and, and. <laughs> and, I had stayed in touch with folks at the law firm because I'm a firm believer that when you leave an organization, you should A, leave it better than how you found it. And that means in terms of your relationships with people as well, because there's always something to learn. And um, I got a call and it was a law firm and they said, hey, we're, we're thinking about, you know, um, formalizing our commitment to DNI and really hiring somebody to think about that 24 seven. Would you be interested in being considered? And you know, Laura, I don't know in 2008 what like what your thoughts around DNI were, but mine were pretty non-existent. <laughs> in 2008, yeah, I was like, wait, no. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure I know what you mean. Like, like, um, and it's a financial crisis. So you know, what about the lawyers who are generating the fees that keep you in business? And you know, I, I really respect them because they were so, I think, ahead of their time in terms of saying. This is something we need to link to our business, our talent, our culture, and our external presence. And what we need is somebody to help us really think about it from that strategic lens of pulling it all together and then really having the visibility. So I reported to the chair of the firm and there were some pretty senior folks involved in the diversity work on different practice groups. And so I really understood the business side of it. And I think that's just really critical for anybody doing DNI work. Um, so they sold me when they said, you can come report to the chair, learn about how a law firm works and you don't have to bill hours. So <laughs> I was sold. Um, totally, oh my gosh. And I did that and I loved it. I loved it because it, it kind of combined everything to date where I was, A, I got to talk to clients about what we were doing at the firm 
I got to work at the firm kind of as an internal consultant, really thinking about this, this quote unquote problem we had to solve, which was how do we get better at building a more inclusive environment that's gonna bring people's best contributions out on behalf of our clients. And I got to travel. I got to travel and meet different folks in different parts of the country in our different offices and really get a sense of just how empathetic you have to be and how much of an attentive listener you have to be both to individuals but also to corporations and organizations because they're organic, right, and beings. Um, and, and I was doing that. So I'm going to pause. Like That's kind of how I went from sort of A to H. I can get to H to Z really quickly, but basically I think for me, DNI was the, the time when I, I, in my career, really dug into a subject matter and became a subject matter expert and really started doing things like thought leadership, you know, speaking and writing and really getting outside of just my day to day to say, look, this is an interesting opportunity we have and this is how I can share and help. Um, and, you know, my time at the firm came to an end sort of organically and naturally. And I said, what, what if I did this somewhere else where I hadn't been a student or a summer associate? And that's where I ended up at Morgan Stanley um, in a big, a big DNI group. And I'd never been in HR. So that was my first time in HR um, at that scale. And I was focusing first on communications and operations and then eventually employee engagement. And you know, it was interesting. Scale is something I don't think you think about when you think about your career, right? Like, I want to be at a really big company or really small. Like, I wasn't thinking that way anyway. Maybe other people do. But for me, I realized that scale was more important than I knew. And I realized that for all of the really helpful lessons I was learning at a big place, I felt like I wanted to get off the ocean liner and get back onto a speedboat where I could really feel my movement actually actually impacting because that's kind of that's always the thing yeah I wanted to like be able to look people in the eye I wanted to be closer to when where the decisions were being made and the ground. <laughs> yeah and I just I also you know to be honest you know that I know you're doing your 29 days of black women but I was I was tired I was tired of thinking about DNI so closely and experiencing it as a human being mm. um and I think self-care is something we, we talk about a lot now, but I think for me and my career, I had to think about what would be caring for my own sanity and my own motivation and sort of self-esteem at that moment. So I started to kind of put out, I believe in manifestation, right? I started to put out there, Same. right? I'm ready for a new opportunity. DNI was a great big gnarly thing that I helped figure out, at least for the moment, I'm ready to go figure something else out. And that is honestly when Audible called me and said, hey, we're, we're going to have a new position, head of employee experience. Interested? And I was like, sure. And then that's, <laughs> that's, sure. So that's where, and I have to give my wife a lot of credit here because she said, you have to go there. They are amazing. Who do you think I'm listening to every day in my studio as I paint? <laughs> like, and they, you're like, okay. Yeah. And the other thing is Audible has a great commitment to Newark. You mentioned Jersey. My parents both grew up in Newark and went to Arts High. And, and our, our commitment to Newark is so deeply felt. We moved there in 2007 as a company. And, and so I just thought that would be a real gas to get to go back to kind of where it all began for my family. And, oh, you know, totally. Have a new chapter in my career. 
awesome. And, you know, but it's also, it's really lovely the how you thoughtfully explain, like, how you get there. Because I think sometimes folks don't go, oh, it was just kind of this, then this happened, and then we're here. And it's more like, this was a journey that I had to kind of go on. And I had to do A through H, take a pause, and then go to, from H to Z. Um, and, and really find your way. So, you know, that's awesome to hear. And so now that you've been at, at Audible, what what's kind of like your day-to-day thing now? Yeah, so, you know, Audible in some ways is its own A to Z, right, in terms of, so I, I mentioned sort of <laughs> showing up on day one, do head of employee experience, and then just subsequently took on more and more responsibilities so that today as the head of talent and culture, essentially I look at the end-to-end employee journey so I'm within the people and places team, and I lead the teams that um, are focused on your candidate experience. So all the things that you learn about us, whether you look on LinkedIn or you go to a, a talk or you're just looking at our career site, I um, talent acquisition, right? So you apply, a recruiter calls you, those are, those are the teams. And then when you join us, we're really heavily invested in onboarding. And that's one of the ways that employee experience really comes to life is how do you move from candidate to somebody who has lots to contribute and how does your manager help unlock those contributions by being really thoughtful about who you meet, how you meet them, what you're learning, what you're expected to do. So onboarding, um, learning and development, talent management. So that means, you know, performance assessment, talent reviews, promotions, like all of the processes that help people advance and develop through the organization. Um, Executive leadership, Leadership is huge, capital L, lowercase l, we all know that that matters a lot. And really um, spectrum and belonging, which is what we call DNI. That's that's the lens. I, you know, my work in DNI has taught me that it's really important to have a strong lens and coordination throughout the entire organization. And I'm really fortunate at Audible that our senior leaders really believe this and want me to help think about how do we coordinate that effort? How do we think strategically? How do we use the employee journey as one of the mechanisms and levers um, to do that? And then I also sit on our CEO's direct team alongside our chief people officer so that we can really work you know, together to make sure that all that we're doing on the people side lines up to our broader blueprint, particularly as it relates to spectrum and belonging, where once again, those key pillars, talent, culture, business and our external presence. Awesome. And you know, it's, it's fascinating to see that like, Audible seems to have gotten it right early on in terms of understanding that it can't just be an afterthought. Everything about the employee journey has to be infused with inclusivity. Otherwise this is never gonna work. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, you know, I can't, you know, I can only take credit for saying yes when my wife is need to take their call. Um, But (laughs) no, I mean, I think our founder and now our founder, Don Katz, and our CEO, Bob Kerrigan, both really, um, you know, having frameworks. So ours are our people principles and, and Don authored those. But, you know, when you think about the year we've just had, it's kind of hard to fake it if you haven't had a playbook or a sense of principles that you operate with, right? Like, there was enough that was tumultuous and unprecedented that our ability to leverage not only how we think about one another, but how we think about our place in the world. Like we're incredibly mission-driven as a company. And that's 
that's one of the things that attracted me to Audible. You know, I always say my first listen was Let My People Go Surfing, which is the story of the Patagonia founder, Yvonne Chouinard, because, and I think Don is similarly as a founder, like building a company around something you're passionate about in terms of being more than what you do, like meaning more to the world, and then using your position as a company to invest in things like education or technological ecosystems or neighborhood development and making that just an integral part of who you are as a company, that's how you get traction. That's how things get sustained over time. And it, it, I'm sure it's been an interesting year for you because you talked about onboarding. What's it like onboarding new staff when you actually can't go into an office? Yeah, so so Anne and I were just on a panel yesterday talking about like place, you know, like what does place mean when you're on a screen all day? And, you know, I think there are some things that have changed fundamentally, right? Like most of us are not going into a physical office every day, but we still need to know kind of what we're about, what we're moving toward and how we get there, right? So whether it's our people principles, whether it's understanding like, what is our business? Like, what are our objectives this year? And then sort of meeting people along the way. So, you know, Anne and I, our chief people officer, we do a quarterly new hire welcome. And I find that virtually in some ways it's democratizing in that people all over the world and our, our onboarding right now is, more um, US based, but when we're in, you know, global all hands or we're in, you know, team meetings, my team is global, people can use technology to have their voices heard, right? Like they can chat, they can pop onto the screen, they can pop off. Whereas before you, you kind of had, you kind of relied on who you saw, right? Right. And, and so even for me as a leader, I find that I can build stronger connections in some ways particularly with colleagues who I didn't have the benefit of doing so with previously, or I didn't make as much time, I should have made more time. Um, but I think for us, it's really clear. We just want to make sure people know what they're doing, who they need to meet. And we really do ask our managers to do launch plans, which are essentially like, you know, very clearly articulated. Here's what day one and two, but also day 30, day 100 look like. And we know that's going to change, right? But it's, it's right. a blueprint. And it's a roadmap and it's something you guys can return to during your hopefully regular one-on-ones. That's awesome. And, and also this, it just makes sense. It's that, you know, you've got to try and foster this environment whereby one, welcome to the family. Uh, and we all, we all invest in your success and then giving people the tools, not just the, the employees, but the managers so that you can both move forward in a smart and um, cohesive way, like follow the plan, <laughs> follow the blueprint. Yeah. And I just want to say to all the managers out there, I just want to say thank you, I just, because this is this is a hard time, and nobody teaches you how to manage through, you know, rolling a pandemic, multi-layered, <laughs> right? And yeah. I, I just think that, at least at Audible, you know, I've seen our managers just so committed to ensuring that not only are their people productive, but just are they heard, are they supported? Um, you know, our, our Black Employee Network early on did um, a session called It's Okay If You're Not Okay back in the summer. And, and I was just so gratified to see so many senior leaders like showing up and just listening, right? Like listening is so important right now, not just because I'm at Audible, but. 
no pun intended on the list right um but you know that's true because i know in the earlier interview i did today we were talking about like the power of actually just listening because we had like twin pandemics hit at the exact same time over last summer and you know for a lot of folks it just was a lot like i like, part of the reason that like i was happy to like be on my bike and and listen to books on audible was because i needed to get away from all of this like if someone else asked me like laura are you okay or did you see that video yes i saw the video could you not bring it up anymore like like and it, it but everyone's like going through that moment on top of having a global pandemic where you know i have to wear a mask when i'm outside right. so it's it it was a it was a very wild period and, and it continues because right. just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder january 6 happens <laughs> um, which i call the white privilege parade and we're like there you go see <laughs> <laughs> in case you had any curious um, you, you could not make it up and so I guess a, a cool question for you would be like so along your way in uh in your journey to, to finding where you are at this moment yeah. can you tell me about a time you had a challenge where you're like okay there's no way this is gonna work I'm never gonna get through this and then you did <laughs> lots of them <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, um, I think as I, the, the challenges, I, I guess they feel different. It's, I know brain psychology, like your brain changes, right? And in, I feel like in my 20s, everything felt so fast and sped up. Um, and like, you had to deal with it right now or else it was going to be horrible and everything was going to be over for the rest of your life. Yes. And, <laughs> and I'm so grateful for my friends who put up with me in my twenties. But I think that now it's about how do I build perspective for myself and for others? So I guess an example, and I know everybody listening maybe has the same one, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I would just go to sleep feeling like I didn't accomplish anything. Like I didn't do well enough for my team. Like I felt like I had one arm tied behind my back for at least a month because I just, it was a new muscle, right? It was like, how right. do I connect? As you were asking me, how do I connect with people in a really scary time, knowing that we have things that we're trying to do in service of our employees, because that's what we do as a team, but making sure we're okay, but knowing there's probably no way anybody's okay. And then like, but we're still going to do this thing together. And I think that my biggest sort of turning point was when I actually acknowledged that to one of my directs and she was like, it's okay, you've got this. And we've got, you know, and if, if you don't, we've got it tomorrow, we can try again, right? And I just think it's so important to, as a leader, be vulnerable and authentic with your team, you know, because I think that people can sense things and it's easier if you vocalize them so that you can work through them together and sort of leverage one another's strengths along the way. It's, yeah, that's awesome and, and true. Like, you know, you just have to find, find your way, you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, now that it's kind of crazy that we're now a year into this, a year. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was two weeks. See you in two weeks. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember telling folks early on, like, okay, this is going to be at least until the fall. And, you know, my day job is I run an events company. And so folks are like, are you serious? It's going to be like, 
this is not this is not something that's going to go away in two seconds. The whole world is, is ha- have having this one moment, and if yeah. you somehow think that magically the whole world is going to fix itself in three months, you haven't been to an airport. Like, right. <laughs> like, even something as simple as an airport requires so much heavy lifting to get the planes out of, out of an airport. Imagine what happens when you don't know someone has something that could kill everyone on that plane. Like, we're gonna have a problem. Yeah. Uh, and so I think you know there, there was like the real the, the seven stages of grief. I think some people went through like real then acceptance, and I think now we're all kind of in acceptance, yeah. <laughs> but it still sucks. It still sucks. Yeah. We're we're still in it. We'll get there. Like, we won't. We will It'll be fine. We'll figure out. We'll figure out a way. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House, and their workspace is to help creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe wonderful and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in LA, five in the UK, and they give you that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location, feel safe. I've you know been able to meet some really awesome people, which haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re- record here and help build community. So if you if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SohoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. You know, finding your way is kind of really important. So, you know, thinking about that, what do you think you'd tell 25-year-old Ara, looking back on it now? Hmm. And I, I hope we're not checking me because I know I wrote a LinkedIn post about telling my younger self a few things. So um, let's just pretend this is letter number two. Yes. Uh, you know, I think that part of it is um, be, be more aware of where your audience actually is. So in some ways it goes back to that very critical moment. I talked about it with the sales director job where I was kind of making an assumption that I was selling radio ads and that was the only thing I could do to be successful, right? And it wasn't until I changed my viewpoint that I realized, oh my gosh, print and web are something else that a radio station can sell. And I think for me, you know, I mentioned being a visual artist and studying creative writing. I think my my personal journey as a creator and a storyteller has been around persistence and perseverance in getting my story out there um, when traditional avenues haven't felt as open to me as they, as I might have assumed they would be, right? Like um, I'm an overachiever, right? I'm used to working hard and like succeeding. And I think that storytelling for, for so many reasons, systemic and just, you know, taste, I think it's been really hard for me to, to see that. And so I'll just use a really easy example is I started an Instagram account a few years because it was about, I wanted to be seen and heard. It was really more around the art world and recognizing that in a lot of art world gatherings, unless it had to do with a black artist, I was usually the only black person in the room or in the museum or in the spotlight or in the scene, right? And my wife is my wife is not black. So I know I mentioned having a wife who's a painter just to make that clear. And, you know, it was like minimal interest. You know, people are like, oh, that's nice, da, 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 like onto the next picture. 
And Laura, I think you and I, when we met at WPP, I did a post afterwards just thanking, you know, Judy Jackson, who's great um, at WPP for having us telling our stories and sort of recounting how I had told a story about my hair and my hair journey and how it intersected with my career journey. And I was so shocked when I got so many likes and so much reaction mm -hmm. to that post. And I was like, huh, interesting. And then I just kept leaning into LinkedIn because I realized that for me, the professional has always been personal and vice versa. And so if there were people who would benefit from that story and others, then I was going to honor that audience. And so what? Maybe I, I didn't wake up thinking like, I'm going to use LinkedIn as my primary vehicle. But guess what? That's where the people are. That's where the story is being told. And so I think for me, it's been about just keep telling your story, just keep listening for that audience, and just keep going. You know, you're so right. And it's so fascinating because like it, that day that we all got to share and meet at um, WPP was so impactful, I think, for all of us. Um, you sharing your hair story, me sharing my dyslexia story. Um, and, you know, similarly, like I now talk about my dyslexia all the time. I just did it for a, a nonprofit that focuses on people who have IDDs. And it's fascinating because folks will say like, you're one of the few people who looks like me who has dyslexia. I had never seen you before, but you're like a boss lady. So like seeing you and understanding that like you can figure, you can find your way helps so much. And I'm like, huh, okay, then that's what we'll do. Right. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I, I've loved your, your, your stories that you said, you, you said on LinkedIn because like they just, you grab people in and it's not that this is a deeply personal story that you would be sharing on a Facebook post, right. but it all, that intersects the personal and the professional in such a way whereby you get it. And that's what I think great storytelling actually does. Yeah. Well, well storyteller to storyteller, it's always, you know, <laughs> thank your storytellers, folks. We need, we need encouragement too. It may seem like it just flows out of us, but we do, it does matter that it's read and understood and heard. Yeah, tip your storytellers. <laughs> <laughs> Not just Black History Month either. Seriously, all year long. Like, That's oh right. my God. Like, all year. And now June, because like I've been seeing a lot of things about people wanting to do things around Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know that they're 12 months of the year, right? Just saying. <laughs> 12 months of opportunity. Every month, every week, every day is an opportunity to be something smart around culture. Just saying. Uh, but like, you know, obviously this year has been super heavy and we can't go places we'd like to go. Yeah. How in the world are you navigating your self-care? <laughs> I, you know, I feel super privileged to live near a very nice park in um, Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And I walk, I try to walk every day if I can and not necessarily in the park, but just like get outside because for me, I like to be in motion and being outside in motion is even better. So I'll do that. Um, I also like to read, which is a good thing because I can listen on Audible, but I can also read books. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for me, writing is very therapeutic. It's, it's being somebody who can feel like I'm 
connecting with people whom I may never meet, but knowing that there's something out there where we're on a wavelength or a frequency that might need amplification, like you were talking about with dyslexia. You know, I think for me being an introvert, the recharges are different than they were um, before, but they're still there. And for me, the connections that I've been able to build with people in different ways during this time has been rejuvenating as much as it's been exhausting. So it, it's like a good energy ex, ex, um, expenditure. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and that's it. It's like, how do you best go, encapsulate your energy during this time when we all know it's so crazy and it's just, what? Okay, but sure, it's a pandemic. Who would have thought that like, in all of our kind of wildest dreams that we'd be you know, living in a movie that doesn't want to end. Doesn't end. <laughs> like, it doesn't, doesn't end. It's like, oh, you know, Walking Dead, 28 Day, 28 Days Later, like one of those, but like, but no. My sister and I joke, there's like no go bag for this occasion or it just keeps changing. It's like, do I need hand sanitizer? Do I need, do I need a car? Do I need a bunker? Like a panic room? Like what do I need? So all of them, <laughs> maybe, you know, and, and a cat, we have a cat. And I think she's been my best, uh, other than my wife and my family, been a really nice pandemic buddy. I mean, everyone's got either a dog or a cat. My building doesn't allow pets. Otherwise, I would have gotten a dog. Um, well, if this was a video, brain. you would have met her. But ah, yeah. mm -hmm. but but it is kind of crazy that there is no go bag for this because, like, no one. This is the crazy part. Like, no one wrote the movie about this for about like the pandemic last for years, or it's kind of in between. Uh, like, there's some people getting better, some people are still dying, and there's, like, no heroic doctor, like, who looks like Brad Pitt, who's going to come save a day at the last <laughs> possible second, or, you know, is Will Smith, where he, like, sacrifices himself to save the, save the kids from the evil zombies, like, none of that's happening here, we're just living, right, just hoping, <laughs> great. Yes, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, it's an interesting lesson for people who are like you and I, like observers, is just the observations of what we're unwilling to let go of, even if it literally might mean life or death, versus the things that are like, oh, why were we even thinking that was non-negotiable? Of course we can have meetings online together. You know, like it's just it's fascinating. And I'm sure it will continue to be so. Yeah, there was a, a, a tweet I saw the other day that I thought was really great. He's like, how did we ever commute and go to work and travel for business? It's like, and you're like, you know, yeah. Cause like we packed a ton of stuff. I mean, I can have a meeting at nine o'clock in the morning in New York, get in a plane at one o'clock, be in Florida for a client event and then fly back the next morning at 7 a.m. on Saturday. And like, that was the thing I just did without even thinking about it. And that's like, you want me to do how many meetings on Zoom today? Uh, I don't know. Yep, I know. I remember like the last meeting I went to was a, like I got on a plane and went to Florida last February. And I remember I was in that like hand sanit, I think I was wiping things down, but not wearing them. Like it was very strange, but it would felt kind of like, that was the tipping point. And there was one person who was presenting on screen because she couldn't safely travel given what was starting to happen, but it still felt like she was the odd person out. The oddball, right? Right, like, and, and I didn't realize how quickly it would shift where somebody being in a physical space would become the like, whoa, where are they? 
Australia, <laughs> like, you know, like, um, it's, it's really fascinating. I, I think that there are benefits to, you know, I call it a chime flattened world. We use Amazon chime, but like zoom flattened world where the world is getting flatter and yet the connection, I worry about it getting farther if we're not careful about tending to our human interactions and centricity. Yeah, that's the thing that, you know, worries me, you know, as, you know, as someone who design experience and people feel welcome, I'm like, we got to kind of bring you all back and how we can like fire off those connections in ways that are meaningful for folks. Uh, because even as we hopefully begin to open up, maybe this fall, maybe, like what are the things people are going to be willing to do to reestablish connection? Like, and I'm like smaller outdoor very secured like everyone vaccinated like that's literally the bubble you have to sort of rebuild in this whole new world to get people out uh to physically connect because i do think that physical connection thing is still lost mm -hmm. even though we've tried to replicate it in a lot of different ways and there is something unique about like you know you and i were just sitting there chatting like wait we know people in common how <laughs> right <laughs> Those sort of serendipitous connections and collisions. I mean, you know, New York City is, that's why people love living in the city, right? I can think of going to an art opening and just bumping into somebody quite literally. Um, and now it's a little different, but I'm, I'm very confident in folks like you who are going to help reimagine what, what connection and creativity looks like in the next iteration. Yeah, thanks for the big burden, Nara. Great. <laughs> well, I'll share it with you in terms of the experience. However, I think we're going to need a lot of different hands on deck to solve this because it's going to be it's going to be a different kind of way of thinking for sure. Oh yeah, uh, it's but it's fascinating. I I had this really awesome call today with a technology company, of, uh, and in chatting with them, we just like brainstormed some ideas about like how we could do something live and. It was just, it was, it was probably the best energy I felt all week because like they were just like, yeah, we could do this, 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 and you're like, absolutely. Uh, and they were all for it because they're tech folks and they're not creative. But I was like, <laughs> like, your technology can do all these different things, and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, so it it'll be fun. To, I think it'll be fun to see how we create a whole new world for folks that is safe, um, and empowers all kinds of new kinds of connections as well. And can I just in the spirit of this this 29 day, it is, is it a leap year? Is this a leap year? Am I? So last year was a leap year. So that's okay. how I named 29 right. days. Mm -hmm. But I bought the URL and I was like, actually, I kind of like the framing of it. Uh -huh. And it also kind of gives a hint that there might be more than 29 women who are going to be part of this. And this may last longer than February. Wink, nice. wink. <laughs> nice. Um, well, I just, you know, I, I wanted to just make sure I took a moment to honor some of the, the Black women who I feel, you know, the idea of having optimism and persistence and in difficult times. Like for me, you know, my grandmother, well, both of them, my Nana Gladys and my Nana Cuffy, but particularly my Nana Cuffy, like I just, um, I was so fortunate to have her until, you know, the mid 2000s when I was in my mid 20s. And I remember right after she died, some of those really hard moments, I went through a really hard breakup, I guess, around the time. And I just remember thinking like, what am I going to do without my Nana? 
And because she was such a cheerleader for me, I mean, my parents are all cheerleaders, but she was like that one person, you know, like, you know, Mm -hmm. they really get you and feel you and would do anything for you. And, and I remember somebody meeting me who had never met her and they just said, you know, I feel like I know her through you. And I just, you know, whenever I feel like I'm not quite up for it, or I'm not quite sure I have the energy, I just think about how, you know, she'll be, she would have been a hundred, you know, she's born in 1921, how much she saw and how much she just kept on going and ended up having a daughter graduate from Cornell and become a trustee of Cornell and become a doctor and then have three granddaughters who are absolutely insane, including me. But like, yes, <laughs> like we didn't have a sense of bounds. We felt like we could do anything and she made it feel like why wouldn't you think that way? And I just think that's such a powerful mindset, whether you're black, white, purple, anything to be able to like hold on to, particularly when things just feel so insurmountable. So just wanted to put that out there. That's an awesome. Oh, oh so wonderful for you to say, because I think it's, it is that you know no bounds at this particular moment. If we're living and working and existing at this moment, all the incredible Black women who came before us, um, who built the foundation for us to stand on the shoulders of, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out, the, we'll figure this out. We will find our way. And it's always honor to go forward and not forget where, where, we, where we started. That's so right. you're definitely right. It's okay to sit down and be tired too. And to say that out loud. So yes, just say it. Just say it. I say I'm tired and I need somebody else to carry this next leg of the race. Yeah, you don't have to be a superwoman anymore. And I think that's the one thing I hope we're all getting out of this. That like, especially for black women, it's like pull the mountain off of your back. Yes. Like you're allowed to just walk forward without carrying the entire space of the world on your shoulders. Um like and your you shoulders can be free. <laughs> you can find a safe space to yell into the void for 45 minutes if you would like any time. Like therapy is okay for black women. I just I think our mental health is such a an important thing for us to focus on in this next, you know, iteration of life. It's it's the only way to stay resilient, I think, and healthy is just to keep keep uh control of your mind, right? Because if your mind goes, that's the that's the hard thing. It really is. And, you know, I think that one a, a kind of a good blessing about this is that far more folks who look like us are opening up about, yes, mental health is an issue. And like, there is no shame here. Go to therapy, go, like, go see a coach, go to group therapy, do whatever you have to do so that you're okay. Because if, less, if oxygen mask goes on you first before yeah. anybody else, you can't save the world if you are choking to death. Uh, and whatever it needs to that can help you to breathe, please do it. Please do it. Uh, and there's no shame in it. No. Um, so you're so true. And and I would just say, you know, we were talking about my A to A to H, H to Z. You know, <laughs> all along the way, I have had people in my family, mentors, sponsors, kitchen cabinet, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know colleagues, straight white men included, right? Where I've just said, I don't know about this one thing. Can you help me? Can you show me how you did that? Or I have a question, you know, like reaching out and just asking for help is so critical and I'm gonna keep doing it. So, 
you know, I, I hope that people will join me in that, but it's okay because we can't solve these things alone. Yeah, we're not in a vacuum, but there is a collective that everyone needs to help each other. And if you don't know something, please ask, please <laughs> just do it. Okay. It's okay to get it wrong. I get things wrong all the time. So it's okay to ask silly questions. It's okay not to know the answers, but just be honest about where you are, you know? Absolutely. Uh, oh, it was such a wonderful conversation. I knew you'd be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> last question for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? Oh, give or an ask. Well, I guess my give is just to know that there's one more person out there in the world, Ara Tucker, who's wishing all of you the best and the, the brightest in these, these times ahead, because I think that our well wishes actually do go somewhere. Um, and I would say an ask is, you know, I want to go back to storytelling and, you know, Laura, I'm so glad that you're amplifying voices, but I would just say it really does matter and we need more stories out there in the world that showcase a broad spectrum of experiences. So if you're a publisher, if you're a content creator who's already sort of made it, think about how you can bring somebody else's story along to fill, to fill up some more space. Awesome. And so necessary. <laughs> that is, that yep. is a great one. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. I knew you'd be an absolute delight. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Um, you just filled up all kinds of wonderful buckets of wisdom and nuggets of goodness. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Laura. And keep on doing what you're doing. It's amazing. Awesome. And so we'll put all these in the show notes where you can find out where Ara is. And obviously check out Audible because it's what I used to read. <laughs> uh, it's like, I don't think it just is a thing. Uh, and, uh, it, and just keep doing great what you continue to do. And that is our show.